Um, hi, everyone. Welcome back to the CUOA podcast. Today, I'm joined with Angelina Miller and Flora Quinby. Angelina, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Angelina, and I am the treasurer for WOA. Um, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us um, what it is you do at SpaceX? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Flora Quinby, um, and I am a manufacturing engineer at SpaceX. So I Technically, my full title is Manufacturing Engineer for Propulsion Subassemblies for the Merlin rocket engine that goes on Falcon Heavy and Falcon 9, which is a lot. But basically, that means any component that's not like uh, the injector or the turbine pump um, probably comes across my desk. I own about 700 parts, um, and they're all for the Merlin rocket engine. That's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, what does a typical day look like for you? Um, kind of depends on the day. Um, most of the time, um, it's coming in and seeing what's happened overnight because SpaceX has uh, three shifts. So they have a shift morning, shift afternoon, evening, which is night shift technically, and then they have a weekend shift because it is a 24 seven uh, company. And so uh, I come in and the first thing I do is see what happened that I missed while I was sleeping and um, see if there's anything I can immediately fix. So most of my job is looking at any issues that come up, any defects that happen um, with any of our parts and telling the technicians how to fix it. Um, then when I don't have that to work on, the actual main bulk of my job is trying to improve the processes that we already have in place. So, um, you know, say we build a part and it goes to another company to get cleaned when we could just as easily clean it in-house. You know, part of what I do is look at that and go, okay, is that cost effective? Is that going to save time, um, save money? And then I implement it to change, um, hopefully for the better, um, for anything, um, for our process development. So those are the two big things I do. Um, other than that, there's basic planning that the technicians follow and they give feedback and they say, Hey, can you actually change this? Because two minutes is not long enough. We need 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so I change little things like that. Uh, or I like assist with other teams. So recently, um, the last two weeks, I was assisting with like one of the upper level teams for the actual Merlin, like bigger components for the Merlin rocket engine, uh, which was really cool. It does take up a lot of time, but um, it was really cool nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I bet it's worth it. Um, what attributes would someone need in order to be successful in your position? I think there's a couple different um, key things that someone needs to be, not necessarily my position, but in any aerospace position or science position or um, specifically at SpaceX. So one of the big things that um, I think gets overlooked, particularly when you're as, as a student, you know, you are working on knowing the information. One major aspect is communication. Can you communicate with people? Do you, know, do you have the soft people skills? What sort of leadership responsibility do you have? And what is your personality? Um, all of that will factor into how successful you are, I think in any job, um, but particularly at SpaceX, like I was told during my interviews that personality plays a huge role. You know, how can you talk to people? Is your communication gonna be effective? You know, you are working with a bunch of different people, people from the people who actually touch 
the parts and are like building it to your VPs who may never actually ever see this part ever. <laughs> um, and they need to know what you're doing and why the change is important. So I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, another really big thing is time moves very fast and at the same time, very slow. So there's always a lot going on and prioritizing time and prioritizing projects based on cost, energy, whatever it is, really needs to be a top priority. So understanding that, being able to move at a quick fit, quick pace, um, taking breaks, like understanding the, um, the principles of it, not necessarily just, can you do the math? Um, but what does it actually mean if that math shows you X, Y, or Z? And so I think there's like a very big um, difference in that. You know, I think a lot of people think that because I went into engineering school, you know, I graduated with my bachelor's in aerospace, but I have a mechanical background, um, that I do math all the time, that I actually work in the machine shop. I touch parts maybe once a week. <laughs> um, and I don't think I've done really any math since I've been at SpaceX. Um, most of what I do is documentation, it's planning, it's the communication side, and um, you need to know the principles. So say you're in an engineering course and they're talking about Newton's first law. Great, know it, it's gonna be important, but you're not going through the engineering method. You're not writing out the math problem and solving it and getting three at the end. Like that rarely happens. And if you are, chances are you're doing it in Excel, so you're not actually doing the math. Excel's doing the math. So it's things like that, um, but knowing the understand, like understanding the background, the principles, um, the fundamental equations, like all necessary. But I think the communication and the personality um, is stuff that gets overlooked, but actually ends up being one of the more important attributes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that. That is very helpful. Um, what inspired you to enter the aerospace industry? So I uh, grew up in Boulder, actually. So that's my hometown. Um, and I went to Boulder High and I went to a small charter school called Horizons, um, like literally off of Mohawk and Baseline um, for middle school. And um, in my middle school eighth grade class, which was I think the first science class that was actually good ever, where I had like a good science teacher, um, I was like paired with scientists around Boulder. We were making like five minute short videos. And I sat in for my friend who was sick one day and met two former astronauts. Um, like they were the ones being interviewed and they were both professors at CU. One is still there. One of students retired, but lives on the like West slope of the Rocky mountains. Um, and I think someone asked like, what's the most important thing you bring to space? And we were all sitting there like musing like food, water, like what can you not have? It's like air, like, like what's important. <laughs> um, and he pulls a spoon out of his pocket and goes this, this is the most important thing you can bring to space. And I think everyone just like stopped talking. <laughs> we're just like, <laughs> how is a spoon important? Like this is a spoon. Like we use them every day to eat cereal. Like this is not exciting. Um, to which he then explained that the food is packaged so tightly that you actually need the spoon to be able to get it out. And because food doesn't like, like because there's no gravity, food would fly everywhere if you just like open the packet. And so of course it made sense once he explained it, but um, 
it just like stuck with me and I went home that afternoon and I walked in my front door and I think I was like being dropped off by someone else or something and I walked in the front door and I was like hi mom dad I'm gonna be an astronaut when I grow up and they were like what <laughs> like where did that come from for reference my mom is a art teacher and an artist and my dad is an elementary educator I surpassed them in math and like geometry so like this was totally like like beyond bonkers to them I had never been interested in science or math um but that was it like something clicked and for some reason I saw a spoon and I was like great I'll be an astronaut so <laughs> that's how that started in eighth grade um and then those two astronauts have actually been my mentors ever since um so I've done like mock interviews with them um I've attended the advanced space academy in Huntsville Alabama um and I've Very just cool. kind of been pushing towards that ever since so I'm uh, still planning to apply to the astronaut class of 2024. Um, so we'll see if that actually ends up happening. <laughs> I still have to get a master's degree before that. But um, that's still the plan as of now. And um, yeah, so that's how I started getting interested in it. And I kind of just haven't stopped. And that's awesome. <laughs> it's a weird story. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also it's like a college entrance exam. I literally like, I wrote my essay on the the story of the spoon and that's like what I wrote to get into college oh that's awesome (laughs) yeah that is awesome well good luck with your astronaut (laughs) um application in the future Um, a lot of interviews yes (laughs) yes I think you got it though um what was your past getting into SpaceX (laughs) um I had a weird time getting into SpaceX so I my junior year, yes, junior year, I started applying to internships, um, which I will always recommend doing at least one or having some sort of experience in some field. Um, and so I applied to, I want to say like maybe over 150, maybe 200 internships. And I heard back from one and it was Virgin Galactic. Um, and uh, they interviewed me to be an operations engineering intern. And uh, originally, I didn't actually get the position. There was only supposed to be one. But my hiring manager somehow went and talked to the VP and got me a second spot. And so um, I was one of four interns um, summer 2019 and was out in Mojave Desert. I'm out here in California. And I worked with mostly the pilots. So that was my job. I did a whole bunch of work with the pilots, which are all the astronauts, which was super cool. Um, I did some like weather analysis, all sorts of like little projects and just kind of got a feel for um, the aerospace world, which was super great. Then I finished my internship, went back and starting in September, started applying to jobs. And I think I started, I think I started applying to pretty much everywhere except for SpaceX. Like I applied to Virgin Galactic. I was pushing Virgin Galactic because I knew them and they had just moved to New Mexico. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. Like that'd be really fun. Um, and was pushing this uh, the spaceship company, which is their counterpart still here in Mojave um, and like pushing Virgin Orbit and just like the whole Virgin family. I was like, I wouldn't work for them. And then I started pushing small companies um, uh, like Blue Cane Technologies in Boulder. I was applying to Lockheed, Raytheon, um, Northrop, just about like any aerospace thing that fit what I thought I wanted to do, which was systems engineering. I thought I would want to go into systems, but I also kind of was floating around. I was like, whatever job, we'll see what happens. Um, as most companies work, if you get a job, you can work there for a year 
And if you don't like it, you can sort of move around after a year. So I was like, cool, it doesn't really matter. I just wanna find a company I like. So um, in, I think November, um, I had a friend from Virgin Galactic who moved to SpaceX. And he, um, I think about like two weeks after he started, he randomly like sent me an email with like, he was like, would you want to work here? Like, what, what do you think? And I was like, I mean, sure. He's like, great, send me your resume. And so I like sent him my resume and he was like, so I was, I was like, like, why? Like you're, you just started, like, who are you going to go talk to? <laughs> and he, his girlfriend's boss was a manager who needed a new engineer. So I ended up having a direct contact to the manager. I didn't go through like the hiring thing. Like I hadn't even applied for a job yet. And the hire, this manager literally sends me the job application. He's like, apply here. We'll do a phone screen and we'll see where it goes. So um, I did that. And in the meantime, it was like, I think it was a two week period. I had like eight interviews, just like at all sorts of different companies. It was like the first time I was like, people want me, yay. <laughs> um, and I was like, Blue Canyon Technologies um, actually gave me an offer um, for spring semester because I was down to one class left before I had to graduate. And um, I took it and I worked part-time at Blue Canyon. So around the same time when I was like accepting the Blue Canyon role, um, which was perfect since that was like during the semester anyways, um, I got like a call back from a hiring manager, recruiter at SpaceX. And they were like, hey, we really like you. We don't know if we're going to put you with this manager you interviewed with, but we're just going to like blast your resume everywhere. So about for like, I think it was like for like three weeks, she called me every week or every day with like a new job she wanted me to apply to. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Like I, re I vividly remember there was one night I was running on the track at CU, like out of breath. And I get this phone call from her and I'm like, okay, hello, like, I'm dying trying to breathe. I was like, hi, how's it going? And it's, like, literally 1030 at night. And I'm like, hi, help, okay, hi, what do you want? Um, and she, like, was like, hey, found another job for you, apply to it. And I was like, okay. So she kind of just, like, picked me up and, like, scooped me in, um, which I feel like is not particularly normal. Um, so I feel like I had, like, a weird backwards way of getting in. But uh, eventually, in about, I think, after I'd already started at Blue Canyon, I want to say it was maybe January, like mid-January, um, I got like another call for a second interview with another manager who is my current manager. And um, it's for this manufacturing role. Um, I actually interviewed for the turbo pump and injector manufacturing engineer. And um, that was like the role I got hired for. And then they put me in like another sub team under the same manager. Um, and so it all worked really well. It was really fast. Um, I think I had four interviews overall um, between technical ones and one in person. And then I think I was the last hire at SpaceX before they went into a hiring freeze. Like my manager went directly to the VP and was like, I want to like, I need this person in. Um, so I have, I think I've just had a lot of really good luck, <laughs> honestly, with a lot of it. Um, but I also had a really open mind. Um, I had you know, I ended up with Blue Canyon Technologies and SpaceX as my two offers, um, graduating in May. And uh, I took SpaceX in March when I got the acceptance um, or got the letter, whatever, the, uh, the offer. And um, that all kind of just worked out that way. 
Um, but I think it was, you know, I originally wasn't planning on working at SpaceX. Uh, my cousin works here. And uh, so I actually get lunch with him like every week, which is nice. But um, That's awesome. like, I've kind of been hearing about it my whole life. And um, I didn't really know if that was something I wanted to do. So I just had a very open mind. And I went through the interview process. And the final in-person interview is an entire day of grueling questions. And I left brain dead thinking I did horribly. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get a call. And they called me literally the next day and were like, hi, how did you think you did? Like, that was great. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and like a week later, I had an offer. So I think it's, I mean, again, it goes back to the whole personality thing. It's, you know, if you really show who you are, um, you know, they're not looking for cookie cutter. You know, they're not looking for um, what everyone else can do they want to see who you are. And so like going into those interviews, like if you laugh at your own jokes, which I have definitely done in interviews, like <laughs> it's fine because they want to see who you are. So I ended up with a, a lot of luck and a very interesting process. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, what was the biggest challenge uh, when you transitioned from school to industry? I think, um, Honestly, half of it is not having work when you go home, which sounds weird, but um, because like all throughout college, you're like, man, if I just didn't have homework, that'd be like the best thing and it'd be great. Well, particularly with COVID right now, it's a weird transition because there's not really anything else to do other than work and like sleep. There's just like, there isn't a whole lot to go do. Mm -hmm. And so um, the first couple months, like, it just, it was really weird. Even now, sometimes it's weird. I like get home, I'm like, oh, I should just finish that one thing I was working on. <laughs> um, and I think that was like the, one of the biggest transitions for me is that like, no, you can just stop and go home. Like, it's fine. Like, no, like, no one cares. There's nothing to do the next day. Um, another thing is no one tells you what to do, when to do it, when anything's due. You're basically making those plans. Um, and all of your time management that you learned in school goes out the window. Um, because when you're in school, someone goes, here's a homework assignment and it's due next Thursday. And you go, great. When you're in industry, they're like, here's a project. How long do you think it's gonna take you? And then all of a sudden you have to figure out how long it's gonna take you to do this project, when you're gonna get it done. You don't wanna say too far in the future because that makes you look bad, but you don't wanna say too soon because then if you missed your deadline, it makes you look bad. It's ridiculous, like it's impossible to try and figure out the first time. <laughs> so my first project took me, I wanna say four months. Um, I have been there now nine months and I have finished probably about 15 projects. Do the math. Wow. The first one <laughs> took the first four months. So <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of trying to figure it out. It's a lot of balancing it. There's a lot of very fast knowledge. Um, one thing you'll hear in industry is be a sponge. And that is probably one of the biggest things I can say is always just be a sponge because you'll learn so much the first couple months. Um, and like, of course you're still gonna have questions. Um, always, I still ask questions to people, but um, the idea is that you become the expert for your stuff. When you're in school, you're not the expert, you're learning all of a sudden you get thrown in industry and they're like, you're the expert on this now. And you're like, am I? <laughs> I don't feel like I am. <laughs> um, and so that's, I think that's one of the biggest like changes is that all of a sudden you are responsible for a lot more. Um, 
you know, in school, if you like make a mistake on homework, like the worst that can happen is you get a lower grade. You know, you make a mistake on an assignment at work and okay, maybe that's a very costly error. Um, and so it's, it's different in that regard. Um, but I think the biggest challenge is just the time management, really. Um, it just takes practice to figure out. Do you have any tips on um, like figuring out like your deadline since you were talking about how that was a struggle at first? With what? Tips on it? Um, do you have any tips on like how to estimate like how long a project's gonna take? Yeah, um, the general rule, um, so it kind of depends on the project. If you feel like you can write an entire paper in one night, which I'm sure all of us can do because we do it for school. If you can do that for work, great. The thing is, you're not gonna be the only one signing off on it. There are now four or five other people that now have to edit that paper before it can get released. That's what takes the time. You don't know what other work they're doing. You don't know how long it's gonna take them. The general rule is give them two weeks. Okay. That's like the baseline. There are going to be times where they're going to say, I'm not going to get to that for a month. But when you, when you ask them to edit something or approve something or submit something, you in an email generally say, hi, I have this document that needs to be submitted and released by say March 2nd. That's two weeks away or whatever, right? And you say, I just need it released that day. Then they figure out what they need to do. And then the week, like the Friday before it needs to be due, you send a reminder email and go, hi, are you still on track for this deadline? They'll generally say, yep, I'll be looking at it Monday. Or no, I need another week. And you have to factor that into your entire plan. So I have, for instance, I have one project that um, I needed to have done by next week, actually. And there was no way I was going to have it done by next week. And I knew that, um, not based on me necessarily, but based on the fact that it has probably a six week lead time for the actual manufacturing of the tool. And I need a people to approve it before I can do that. I can't do them simultaneously. And I started this, I think I got the project January 1st. So I knew there was no way I was going to get it all done because I hadn't even started it. So I got to actually doing it probably mid-January. So instead, I decided to have phase one and a phase two. And I rolled out half of it as like a practice round um, with like basically like a half created solution to the problem. And no one needed to approve it because it still it doesn't change anything in the process. It's just, hey, does it actually do anything? Does it make it easier? If the answer is yes, great, phase two. In the meantime, I have submitted phase two for approval and have everything ready to go. So the second everyone says yes, I can order the thing that has a six week lead time, which means it's not gonna be done next week, but when I need it a month from now, it will be. So okay. it's a lot about like kind of figuring out the timing on hey, if you can't do it or if someone else can't do it, what is your creative solution to still solve the problem temporarily? Um, or if you can't solve the problem, you know, how much time is that gonna take of yours or of whoever's to fix? So for the same thing, if I hadn't put anything in, basically I think 
it probably would have taken maybe 30 hours of my time to just deal with the problem this time around, which isn't the end of the world. Um, and you can calculate the return on investment and go, okay, my time is worth X amount of money. That's 30 hours worth versus how much time is it going to take me to implement this right now? Um, and the cost of it. So um, you can kind of compare the two and that's generally um, a good, good starting point is, is it going to save the time and money to actually do it? Or is it going to be a waste of time? Um, which is also a lot of my job is, you know, there's an issue and they're like, Hey, this part is defective. Do you want to keep it? And I'm like, well, it might take 60 hours to fix. No, we're just going to throw it away. Like it's just not worth it. Um, and so I think with the time management, it, it really is like one, I think it does take at least one project to start to see, you know, I was, I think with my first project, I actually did all the work in a day and then I submitted it and then I sent one email about it and I didn't follow up on it. So of course they didn't do it. A month later, I was like, oh, hi, actually, can you do that now? Thanks. <laughs> and I had three stages of this particular project. So again, it, that's why it took so long because I had like three different levels of signatures and all sorts of things like that. So, um, but when I, the signatures actually happened, I think it took them like a week to do the signatures and for like four different people. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I know if I have like, if I can just assume a week plus an extra week, just in case, well, that's two weeks of time that I just have to get it submitted by so that they can approve it and then I'll just be out in the world. <laughs> so, um, I think that's one big thing. You know, I think I did a very similar thing with school actually. Um, you know, I'd get an assignment and yeah, I could probably wait till the night before, um, but I would just do it right away. I would say, hey, you know, I know it's gonna take me, you know, two hours to do this assignment. I'm just gonna sit down and do the two hours, even though I wanna go do something else. Um, and then um, if I don't finish, well then I have this other extra time the day before it's due to fix it or to make the changes um, or compare with friends, you know, whatever it is and say, okay, hey, how did you do this? Cause I did it weirdly and I don't think I got the right answer. Um, that's a really important time management skill. Um, but I think the other, the biggest tip I can give you in general um, for work and timelines um, and time management and just everything in general is the 80-20 rule. So you only ever put in 80%. You never put in 100% of your energy into anything you're doing because you will burn out. If you put in your 80%, you have 20% to draw from in the emergency situations when something does happen that you have to draw on. For me, that was the last two weeks. I've had over like way too much work and I've been working like 16 hour days the last two weeks. Um, I've fallen asleep on the couch three times and fallen asleep once at work on top of all the caffeine that I've been having did not make a difference because I was pulling a hundred percent of the time, hundred percent of my energy, hundred percent of the time for two weeks minus the weekend, but that's different. Plus, so the whole reason for the 80, 20% is you have that 20% to pull when you need it. You also have the 20% to pull for your home life, whatever personal stuff is going on. Um, and you have a buffer, you know, even putting in 80% is a lot of energy to put into something. So putting it into a project, putting it into work, putting it into school, it's really easy to burn out. Um, and I have definitely burned out a couple times 
in my life and it's never fun. Um, but this 80, 20 like 20 rule always works. And the one thing you have to realize with it is if you, um, feel like you're a perfectionist or you want to get something done, you want to submit something, um, you're going to have to realize that you're not always going to get everything done. Um, which is one of the biggest lessons I'm learning right now is there are tons of projects that I have working on. There's all of the issues I have to look at. There are requests I'm getting from somebody else and I'm not going to get to them all in a day, nor in a week. I have an email that someone sent me on Tuesday that I did not respond to this entire week and I will deal with on Monday. Um, because I just, there was no time and it, like, that's an email, like it should be simple. Um, but it was going to take out more than my 80% and it was not going to fit in. And it's also not such a high priority that I needed to deal with it right away. So it was not in my 80%. Um, so I think that's like one of the biggest lessons I can like, give to anybody for school, for work, for life. Don't exceed your 80% as much of the time as you can. Obviously, there's always going to be days when you have to put in 100% or more than 100% and you drain yourself the next day. But the rule is that 80% is always going to keep you safe. You'll have the buffer. You'll be able to deal with whatever comes up in your family life um, or emergencies that happen at work. Um, and like, hopefully it will like decrease with like the amount of stress or like crying or breakdowns or whatever you have. Um, you know, having that little buffer really does help. And that 20% also, then you have that 20% to do stuff you want to do. You know, you want to dance in your kitchen? Well, you have 20% energy to go do that. Like, that's great. You know, if you're, if you used all your 100%, like, you're probably ordering pizza. Like, I mean, that's, at least that's how it is for me. Like, it's very, it's like, absolutely specific that way. Um, and so I think that's like a huge, uh, huge lesson that I did not know. And uh, when I first got to SpaceX, I had a mentor who told me it. Um, yeah. And he said, yeah, start using your 80-20 rule. And I was like, ah, I have been missing that my whole life. <laughs> Funny how no one told yeah. me. <laughs> That's a really good lesson. Um, I'm really curious, how do you know when you've hit that like 80% for like your productivity or just like your energy? I think it's kind of a balance. Um, so I try, I try and actually aim for 75% because I think that figuring out like what three quarters of your energy is, is a lot easier than 80% because that's just like such a weird number. But like, you can generally tell when you're about like, like half stressed out, like say you, you know, have been working on an assignment for four hours and you have gotten through two of the 16 problems and you're like, oh my God, like, this is terrible. Like, ah, like you know, you start to feel the stress build and you're like, huh, I should go take a break or I should go take a walk or I should go get some water or whatever it is. So that's when I feel, I feel like you're hitting about 25% is you're like, man, this is just frustrating and I can still do it. Um, and that's fine. I think when you hit about 50%, it's okay. I'm starting to get a little overwhelmed with the amount of work I have to do. So now you have three assignments two you haven't started and the one you're two problems in cool well now you know you're stressed out because now you have three problems that you have to get done well the nice thing about that is you can always switch between those three assignments you can bounce around you know you're doing it ahead of time you know your your due date's not for two more days or whatever 
okay, you can bounce around a little bit. You get stuck on one problem on this assignment, great, just switch subjects, go do something else, go to a different assignment. When you're about 80% or 75%, I think it's when you start realizing, man, I really need to have one of these things submitted tonight and I'm not anywhere near to being done. I have two more assignments that I have not started that need to be submitted, you know, maybe one's tomorrow and one's the next day. You know that you can still get the work done. You're pushing your limits because you've been awake for a long time, because you haven't had enough breaks, because maybe you haven't had enough food. But you could still take a break for an hour, go get food, go take a nap, whatever it is, come back and still be able to finish your assignment before the deadline. Like, and you know it, and you've looked at the problems and you sort of know where you're going. That's when you're about 75%. You have a plan, but you're crunched for time. Or you have all the time in the world and you have no plan. That's about when you're at 75%. And you're getting stressed out and you're getting overwhelmed, but you still have just enough energy to pull yourself back and calm yourself down, pulling from that extra, whatever, 25%, whatever 20% you have left based on if you're doing the 75 or 80%. And so I think that's about when I re realize it. So for me at work, um, if I start looking at my phone screen a whole bunch um, and stop being productive and get really tired, I know I'm hitting my 80% mark because I can no longer focus on what the project is I'm doing. Or I've been staring at the same paper for three hours, literally not doing anything. So this was me on Friday, for, for the record. I had burned myself out on Thursday. And Friday, I sat at my desk for about three hours staring at my computer screen doing nothing. Like literally doing nothing. Like I was like, it wasn't, I don't even think it was like registering in my brain. And I realized there was no way I was going to be productive doing any of that. So I took a walk, I did something different. Um, you know, I decided that I was gonna go home early. And the second I made that decision, my brain turned on again. And I was like able to go get a little more work done. I got one issue that I was able to solve. I like came home and I like came home an hour and a half earlier than I normally would. Because I knew that that was going to be my limit. And I pushed myself just enough to get something else done knowing that, you know, for instance, that email just wasn't going to get done. And I, that was going to be okay with me. And I, you know, that's fine. There's like three or four other emails I did not get done. There's one email that I sent and I was like, that's about halfway done. <laughs> um, but like, I got to the point where I was just satisfied with the work that I did yesterday, knowing that Monday after a full weekend of rest, I can come back in at 80%. But that's because I've been pushing myself at 100%. But for me, it's just the moment I get fully distracted. You know, I can't focus anymore. I mean, I feel like we all have this issue. If you're sitting in the engineering center, you're sitting there at your computer, and you're typing, and you're typing, you've been there for four hours, and then you look over at your phone, and then 30 minutes later, you realize you've been on Instagram for 30 minutes. That's the moment you've hit your 80%. <laughs> like, I'm not that easily. Because that that is literally your entire body saying, I can't do this anymore. We're taking our personal time and doing that now. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. Um, and so for me, like it's, it's a really obvious change. I think for a lot of people, it tends to be a pretty obvious change. We just don't realize it um, and we try and push through. Um, but if you just stop right then and there and go do something different, you're gonna 
drop back down and you're no longer going to be putting in 80% of your energy and that it solves everything. Um, you know, making those cognizant decisions to say, I'm done for right now. <laughs> like I, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, I think really helps internally for your entire body to go, Oh, let's relax again. Cool. <laughs> we don't have to do that. Um, and so I think that's one of the things I think when you hit a hundred percent, you generally know you're, you know, you're breaking down, you're, you know, you're crawling into bed, can't sleep, like can't stay awake. Um, you know, you've exceeded all of the energy you had. Um, and that's generally when you fall asleep on the couch or whatever it is. And that's, you have to recuperate for a little while um, before you can really do anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you've hit that like a hundred percent burnout mark, like what are some ways that you tend to like either cope or try and get back on track like after one of those major burnouts uh well the first time was bad um I can tell you that so uh gosh four and a half years ago five years ago now um so I was a student at Colorado State University before CU mm -hmm. and I um was a mechanical engineering double major aerospace with a math minor and I burned out real hard and I fully crashed decided I didn't want to do engineering anymore, uh, decided to study abroad. And within a week, I had planned to study abroad for the fall semester in Spain with no engineering whatsoever. Uh, like that was just, it, I had hit my limit. Mm -hmm. um, so this was after like, probably like weeks of sitting in my room, like working overtime. I think I pulled an 18 hour day once doing something in a computer lab, um, worked on way too many projects all the time didn't really hang out with friends, like lots of crying, like stuff that's just like, you know, you, you've hit your limit. Mm -hmm. um, to be fair, my, my semester turned into a year abroad and then I transferred schools and it was probably the best decision I've ever made. Maybe not for the best reasons, but still best decision I've ever made. I think after that, um, I f found like who I was and like how to more deal with a lot of those situations. Um, you know, I definitely had my fair share of late nights in aerospace at CU. You know, I have 3 a.m. things where I'd be sitting in the engineering center writing a paper. Um, but I think the key was when I started to feel so tired that I couldn't see my screen or um, delirious or slap happy or whatever you want to call it, I took a break, which is usually right when I hit about 98%. It's not fully 100% because 100% is like, I'm actually falling asleep, yeah. but it's right before. And um, I usually watch like really dumb cartoons like Tom and Jerry or like the Pink Panther, like the ones from like way back in the day, mm -hmm. or like I watch The Incredibles or like something just like very childish, really funny that I don't really have to pay attention to a storyline on mm -hmm. um, because it completely resets your brain. It's, you know, your imagination runs wild. You don't have to think about anything difficult. Um, and it's like, it's fun because like, it's your childhood. So I usually try and do that. Or I get up and take a walk around, which is a little harder because like, you're kind of burning energy while you're regaining energy. And so like, that's kind of a fine line. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was one of the things I started doing was I took more frequent breaks as well. Um, so I started saying, hey, I know I'm going to get burned out if I continue pushing for six hours. 
So every two hours, I'm going to go take a walk around. I'm going to go get a tea or a coffee. I'm going to go sit outside in the sunshine or the snow or whatever it was. And um, just mentally stop. Yeah. Um, or I'm going to take every two hours, I'm going to watch an episode of a TV show I like. Because it's something that is changing your brain from whatever you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a tendency to need something in the background. Um, I have like ADHD kind of stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I always have to have some noise going on. Um, so I play um, epic battle music. So I play Two Steps from Hell um, or like kind of music similar to that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just enough to like occupy the back of my brain, but not so much that I'm like thinking about lyrics. Yeah. Um, but it actually like, it's kind of like pump up music for me. And like, it immediately gets me focused no matter what scenario I'm in. So if I'm like really struggling, I switch to that. Um, and that's like how I got through most finals actually. It was just like listening to that. Um, and then, or I have like Netflix on in the background, which is a show I've watched before. Always. It can't be a new show. It has to be a show Mm -hmm. you've watched before, Mm -hmm. um, probably like hundreds of times. So usually for me, it's friends, how I met your mother or new girl. Those are like the, generally the three. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like, I think I've done NCIS as well. Like those are just like shows that I just do not have to think about. I know what's going on, but every couple minutes or every hour or whatever, I can like turn my attention to that screen, to that movie and be like, I'm going to watch for five minutes. Cause I know, I already know what's going on. And then you can like go back to whatever you're doing. Um, so that's one thing I deal with when I, what for, and then when I do hit the hundred percent mark, it's, it's just like downhill from there for me. Um, I will always be in like an attitude where I can't be decisive. And I know that about myself. Um, so like dinner out of the question, like I'm never going to be able to decide on dinner. Um, so like, I think generally like when it was like in the past, it was, I always ordered the same thing from Domino's because I just like, it's the same word. I don't think about it. I know it's good. Um, and it's just like, it's not even a decision. It just became a habit. Um, I would also make sure I would do like a little bit of self-care. So like, you know, take that shower, take a bath, whatever it is. Don't try reading. Don't try doing anything like, like taxing. Um, but do things that like are regenerative. So like, you know, cleaning yourself, like putting yourself in warm water where you're going to like, your entire body's going to be like, ah, this feels so nice. Like go get a massage. Um, whatever it is, things like that, lay down in your bed, just watch a show. Um, don't think, I think is the biggest thing. Because when you hit that 100% mark, thinking is the, the only thing that's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to push through it, you, you're just going to have a breakdown. And it's not really easily fixable unless you sleep. Um, and so for me, that's usually the point I'm just like, okay, yeah, it's late. Yeah, it sucks. I'm just going to go to bed. <laughs> um, and that's what I do. I just go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I have, so my fiance lives here with me um, and we have our two dogs. So um, when I hit my hundred percent mark, um, I usually tell them that I'm in a bad mood, <laughs> that my day's not going well. Um, and I'm like, he full, still hasn't fully figured it out, but I generally like, for me, I know I'm not going to be decisive. So I'll come home and he's like, well, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I'm the last person you can ask right now. (laughs) Like you you have to make a decision. And then I'll start like listing off foods. And I'm like, no, like just choose one and I'll eat it. (laughs) Like I don't even care anymore. So um, 
I think we're still working on sort of like figuring that out but most of the time it just results in me eating like ramen or like something like that I just can't think about um that doesn't require any energy I don't have to like chop anything for it it's just like you put it in a pot and like eat it or you order it and you eat it um on those days I generally ask if he can take the dogs for a walk or you know sometimes we just skip doing a dog walk um which isn't great for the dogs but then I just play with them and like by that I mean I lay on the floor and give them kisses or whatever <laughs> um which sort of works um but I think it's it is a lot of taking that personal time um I'm 100% an extrovert um I love being around people I love talking to people and Tanner my fiance is an introvert and he is very much the opposite um so he is totally fine sitting in a room by himself doing nothing for like three hours I go crazy if I do that except for when I hit 100% when I hit 100%, I will sit in a room for three hours doing nothing and be fine because I have no energy to use on anything. Um, and so a lot of the times when I like have that sort of like crash, um, he'll just sit next to me and he'll play video games or we'll watch the show and I usually fall asleep on the couch and I wake up like 30 minutes later and I'm fine. And it's like, it's just that little bit. It's like, it's, it's like, it's comforting, but it's like, he's not interrogating me. Like he's not trying to have a conversation, Mm -hmm. um, that works. Um, and so that's kind of like how I've been dealing with it recently, at least the last two weeks has been that way. Um, and that's been quite helpful. Um, it's cause I, I like having someone in the room, like around me, but maybe I'm not fully functional as a person at that time. So that's one thing I think, um, is a great way to do it. Um, I think the biggest thing to remember though, when you hit hundred percent is know what your body needs. Um, and that just comes with time, you know, the more times you mentally break down, the more times your entire body is just like in pain or whatever you realize I need to take a bath or I need to just lay down or I need to just sit in silence for a little bit, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, meditation does not matter. Um, it's how does your body best cope with like struggle, with difficulty, with the crash that happens. And, um, you know, crying is not a bad thing. I think crying is totally reasonable. You know, like if you're, it, I mean, it's literally a release of energy. It's like, that's the whole <laughs> definition of it. You know, you're literally releasing whatever toxin is in your body back into the world. You're like, ah, I feel better after crying. Like you always do. Um, you know, you waste a lot of energy, but when you don't have any energy to waste, it doesn't matter. (laughs) So when you hit that hundred percent, you like, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but you literally can't help but cry. Like your, your body doesn't know how to stop. Mm -hmm. And like, people are like, Oh my God, what's wrong? You're like, just don't worry about it. Like talk to me in 10 minutes. It'll be fine. (laughs) Like, like I, they're like, what's wrong? I don't know anymore. Like, (laughs) there isn't anything that's wrong. It's just my body is trying to cope with whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's when you hit that hundred mark. And it's, it's never a bad thing to cry. I've definitely cried at work. Um, just like that. I'm like, I can't even control. Like you'll see like a video of like something on Facebook and you're like, Oh, what a cute puppy. And then you start crying and you're like, okay, <laughs> I've hit my hundred percent mark. Really cool. Um, but like, it's, you know, yourself, like you, mm-hmm. you are literally the best like knowledge of yourself that you have like no one is going to know you better than you and so learning to take that time for yourself whatever time it is if that's hey every day you're going to need 30 minutes of absolute quiet and 
nothing else. Great. You know, can you do that on the drive home if you live with someone? Or when you get home, do you just tell that person to go do something? Um, or you do it, do it the last 30 minutes before bed. Like, you know, what is that that you need? Um, or hey, maybe every day you need to call your best friends. Like, I think last week, um, like, I didn't feel like talking to Tanner about it. And I called my best friend Tia and I was like, hi, I just need to vent for a second. And like, she literally had strep throat and like, couldn't even talk to me. And I was like, great. Like, you don't even have to say anything. Like, I just need to talk. <laughs> That's all I need to do. Um, and I was like walking from two buildings, like between two buildings that were like crying. And I was like, it happens. Um, and it's going to be okay. And, you know, whoever your support system is, use them. Like, tell them ahead of time, I just want to talk or hi, I just need to cry in your presence. And I don't want you to come for me. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want advice. I just want you to sit there and like, be a rock. <laughs> and like, those people will do it for you. Um, you know, because they love you. And then you just do it back for them. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really just about figuring out what your body needs. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, yeah, there are days it uh, like is different for me. Like, sometimes I'm like, I just want to sit in silence and other days like I'm like I need to kill something in a video game <laughs> like it's totally random um and so you just listen to what you need and then you go do that um you know obviously if you're at work like you might have different circumstances and you can't always do something well you know go sit in the bathroom for five minutes you know like mm -hmm. be by yourself like go sit in your car go for a walk like you know usually getting fresh air or sunlight like will always help regardless. Yeah. Um, you know, it is just like a healing factor. Mm -hmm. And um, I think like that's totally something you can do. Um, but it definitely just takes some practice. Don't ever feel embarrassed about breaking down um, is the biggest thing. You know, everyone does it at some point, whether or not it's publicly or privately. You know, there's always gonna be something that's a mental barrier. And mm -hmm. um, if you exceed it, you know, you're, you're gonna break. Um, and that's okay. You know, every, everyone has it. I think it's it's kind of always been un, like unaccepted by society or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's like we don't like seeing you cry in public, and you're like, well, I'm sorry, but like I'm human. <laughs> like I can't do a whole lot of that. <laughs> so I would never worry about that. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, if you ever hear like a imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome is like a huge deal, um, particularly for like people and women specifically in in scientific fields, you just don't feel like you belong. Okay, well, that takes a huge toll yeah. on you. Yeah. You know, it's terrible. Like, I feel that way half the time at work. Well, I had a meeting with my manager, my lead the other day. It turns out she feels the same way. And she literally runs our team. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, if she feels that way, I don't feel so bad about feeling that way. So yeah. I, think, I think part of it is going to be destigmatizing all those sort of things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be okay if you have those mental breakdowns. If you have to leave work half halfway through your workday in one day, you know, you that's fine because you're taking care of your mental health. Does that mean tomorrow you can come back and be 80%? Absolutely. If you're being 20% effective at work, is that worth your time? Is that worth the company's time? No, <laughs> you're not doing the work. Go home, fix yourself, take care of yourself, go for a walk, go for a hike, go watch a movie, whatever it is that makes you feel better, come back the next day and put in your 80% because that's what's going to matter. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're putting in 20% and half of it's only, like only half of it ends up being accurate, 
well, that's just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. So I think it's, I think that's the biggest tips is just really know yourself. You know, I think, gosh, yeah, it's, oh, it's easy to, easy to fall. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think uh, I just recently read a book actually kind of a little while ago, but my lead read it. I loaned it to her and uh, she was telling me about it last week when I was <laughs> having this breakdown in front of her. And uh, she was saying, you have to double your rate of failure to increase your rate of success. And it's based on this book. Um, what is the book called? I'll have to tell you what the book's called in a second. Um, it's, um, the whole idea though, is that when you do, like you have to have the failure. Um, oh, it's called The Slight Edge. That's the book, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Um, I recommend, recommend it to everybody. Um, but it's, you, you can't have any sort of, sort of success without having some sort of failure. If you were only successful, then that would that be success or would that be failure? Because then there's nowhere to go up. Um, and so the whole idea is that there's two paths that you can walk in life, one to failure, one to success. And if you're not on the path to success, you're automatically on the path to failure. There is no standing still. And if you continuously fail, well, you have nowhere to go but up, which is great. It sucks because you're failing and like, that's hard, but you literally can't go anywhere else. Like you've already failed. So now you can go up, like now you can have the success. And so if you look at the way that Elon Musk runs his companies, it's a lot about doubling the rate of failure. You know, you have a lot of trial and error, you know, you blow up rockets and then you have a rocket that launches and that's great, you know, but like how many tries does it take to get there? So no matter how many times you fail or how many times you fall, or you break, you can still succeed. Like you're, you're not failing in life. Like if you're, you just had a a failure point and that's okay. And then you can go and succeed on whatever you need to next. Um, And so I think that's like a huge thing to remember too, when you're going through these moments is it doesn't mean you yourself are a failure. Mm -hmm. If you are failing in a moment, if you are falling, crumbling, crashing, whatever you want to call it, and you are struggling to your deepest core, that does not make you a failure. I think it honestly makes you a success because you are recognizing that you are failing at something. You are recognizing that your body cannot handle whatever it is you're doing. That is a huge success because you realized it. (laughs) If you didn't realize it, that's also a failure and you will, and then it'll be a success. Um, so every single part of that is great. You know, you fail one day and then the next day you accomplish something you didn't think you were going to. Well, that's a success. That's great. That's amazing. Like, I think that's a huge key to remember. Um, I try to remind myself of that every time I fall, I'm like, it's fine. I can't be a success unless I fall. (laughs) So I don't know, just like remembering that I think is huge. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Sorry, those are like really long answers. <laughs> no, you're good. It's okay, I enjoyed it. And I feel like I connected a lot with it. So I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, well, going back to more of like the projects and stuff, is there any project that has been your favorite so far? Um, that is a great question. Um, favorite project? Well, when I first got to SpaceX, so um, I can't like talk about a ton of details for proprietary things, but mm-hmm. when I first got to SpaceX, okay. um, 
I was assigned a project. And so most of the time for school, all my projects weren't like my projects. Like they were projects I helped with. And when I first got to SpaceX, they were like, just gave me a project. I'm like, this is yours. I'm like do it all. So I had to write up a new document, um, a specification document for like the, a whole new acceptance criteria for some parts. You know, I had to change the planning for how to build it. I had to add planning. I had to create a whole new part number. I had to like, there was just so many things I learned um, that worked. And I was just like blown away that like I could even do any of that. Um, and like things were getting released into the greater SpaceX world and like people could go access it at any time. And I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, and now months later, I am getting pinged by different parts of the company, different teams that are like, hi, you own this, this document, right? Like, you know stuff about it. I'm like, yeah, like, I know literally everything there is to know about this part. And they're like, great, can you tell me X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, sure, like, I know that off the top of my head. And like, it feels really good to be able to help with that. Like, I looked at this document the other day and you can like see who subscribed to it. And there's like five people that subscribed to it already. And I'm like, ah, that's so cool. <laughs> like, but stuff like that I think that was probably like the coolest project for me just because it was my first one and everyone at SpaceX says you remember your first project forever and I'm like well that's that for me um you know I absolutely remember that um you know like there's projects right now that I'm working on or ones that I've just finished that definitely save the company more money and I think should be more interesting to me but like no no, no my little my little project in the beginning was just it's still my favorite so <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Well, um, we do want to respect your time. We are over a little bit of an hour. Oh, here, no worries. But thank it's you so Saturday. much for coming. It's a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, anytime. I think this is awesome. So I'm glad you guys are doing it. Yes, it's so cool. Awesome. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today, Flora. We really appreciated it. Everyone, if you want to make sure you stay up to date on our most recent podcast, follow along on Instagram and our Discord to stay up to date. Until then, see you next time.